There is a popular phrase which gets thrown around quite a lot, whether it's in person or on social media. I think we've all seen this or somebody has said this to us, and here's what it, said. Here's what it is. People don't quit jobs, they quit bosses. I've heard that a lot. Maybe you've never heard that, but it's a pretty popular phrase, maybe in the corporate world or wherever there is a boss or a leader. Usually this phrase is attached to some sort of picture meant to you know, describe someone's anguish in the boss that they just suffered under for all these years. People don't quit jobs, they quit bosses. And I, I don't necessarily think it's biblical, but I, I think it's true. Maybe you have quit a job because of your boss or your leader, or maybe you haven't, I don't know. And if you did, maybe it was because their leadership philosophy or their inability to help settle conflict. Thank you. Maybe it was their competency level. They just didn't get it. They didn't understand your needs or what you were tasked to do. Whatever it was, I'd take a gamble and say that we've all endured the rotten stench of leadership at some point in our lives. We just have. But on the other hand, many of us have thrived under solid leadership as well. There are good leaders and they do exist. That type of leadership that encourages you, supports you, keeps you accountable, and challenges you. No matter what your experience is, I think we would all agree that good, solid leaders are essential for the health and the growth of any, any organization, even the church. Leadership, that is our topic for today and then next Sunday as well. More specifically, leadership within the church. Now, before I even get into 1 Timothy chapter 3 and help us understand what God calls elders to be, a few things I think need to be said. For those who have been a part of a church in the past, you already have a framework for this sermon. You have an idea, you have a thought, you have experiences which have led you in a certain direction of how you think about leadership, of how you interact with those who are leaders in the church. You have all had experience with that if you've been a part of a church. If you haven't, um, you're welcome. Uh, Maybe this is going to be uh, fresh air for you. I don't know. But what I'm going to emphasize today may or may not be what you have experienced in the past. My goal is not to um, condemn a whole bunch of other churches because of our experiences we've had with them and we just need to set them straight. That's not the goal. It really did, your experience with church leadership did also depend on your level of involvement with the church, how, how invested you were, how long you've been around, how long you were serving, how many people you interacted with. So you already have that framework. And if you were part of a church and you were disappointed in the leadership of that church, it may have even led you to leave the church. Because you could even say that people don't really quit churches, they quit leaders, which could be true. Now take that, that little conversation there, and just set it over here, and then mix it with this. Mankind's sinfulness, our sinfulness, does also create a hesitancy to support, submit, and honor those who lead. So although we've all had a negative experience with someone in leadership, maybe even in the church, and to be quite frankly, the last place you should ever experience a negative interaction with a leader is in the family of Jesus. But if you have, I can't apologize for you. I can just, uh, you know, preach this. But also we must understand that our sinfulness does put a barrier to even honor those, even if they're good leaders. The, the, the heart is sick and deceitful. And we often don't even understand ourselves half of the week. That's true of me, and I know it's true of you. Our sinfulness creates a hesitancy to support, submit, and honor 
those who lead. If you look at culture, maybe some stories in the headlines, many leaders in our culture have certainly stained our understanding of who a good leader is, yes, even in the church. One day, a well-known leader is conquering the world, checking things off the list, making great accomplishments, and then the next day, they've been accused and found guilty of abusing the position. We live in a day when we all struggle to trust those who are in positions of leadership because of these failures. I would say my my generation, the generation that comes after me, we have... um, we're very skeptical of anybody who says, I am in control. I am in authority. Because we've seen time and time again, people abuse that authority. But we don't want this for our church here today. And it is against this dark backdrop of failed leadership that we, the church, are called to be a bright and shining light to those around us. The church has been given a leadership structure, and we must submit to it and follow it if the gospel is going to continue to conquer the world continue to go out, continue to attract sinners, and have people repent and follow Jesus. It really does depend on the health of the leadership within each local church. So what does that look like? Well, it looks like, first, my leadership of you as your pastor. We're going to be talking about the term elder a lot. That can be pretty much also translated pastor. It's one and the same. So you can call me pastor, or you can call me a preaching elder. I don't really care either one. Or you can just use the name John, and that's acceptable too. Um, But it looks like me leading you as your pastor. It looks like the team that was up here this morning leading us in song. This is leadership. It looked like Adam leading us in prayer. It also looks like the 12 plus people downstairs teaching and shepherding kids. Leadership in the church looks like the person who shoveled the walkway from the upper parking lot to the lower parking lot, who probably showed up before anybody else. It looks like the person who set up the chairs and who put the crackers and the juice in the communion and who helps park cars. All of that is leadership. Leadership is simply someone stepping in to fill a need, no matter how big or how small. That is a definition of leadership. But then, within the church, there is a specific type of leadership that is absolutely essential. If the church is to become who God has called the church to become. And to learn about this position of leadership, we're just going to learn from what Adam already read to us. 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is not the only place in the Bible where God describes who leaders are within his church. There are other areas, but this is one that is very clear. It's right there before us, and we cannot overlook it. But even before we go there, I want to make just, I want to preface this entire sermon on 1 Timothy chapter 3 with these two verses. Number one, it's 2 Timothy chapter 3, one book to your right. It says this, all scripture is breathed out by God. That means it's all from God. Every Word in this Bible is actually from God. God called men to write things down, and they wrote it down, but it comes from him. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. It's good for teaching, for reproof. That means correction, or like uh, for correction, for reproof, and for training in righteousness. So all of the Bible is good as a Christian to us. It's for our benefit. And then there's 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. This is what he says. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God, through Jesus Christ, has given us all things that pertains to our life and our godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and his excellence. Everything we need as a church is found in the Bible. Everything. If we only had the Bible as a church and no other leadership documents, no other training courses, nothing else, we would have everything we've ever needed. If you and your Christian life only had the Bible, you would have enough. 
Now, these verses remind us that God has given to us all that we need in order to identify, select, and train elders. These verses, they stop us from thinking that we need to go outside of the Bible to learn more about leadership from somebody else. Now, there are multiple sources of solid leadership material out there. There are books, seminars, conferences, podcasts, and the like. I mean, you can pretty much look up leadership in Google, and you will be swamped by all the things that you can consume of what leadership is and how do you get better at it and who is a leader and all of these things. There is really no shortage of information about how important leadership is and how even you can become a better leader. But in order to understand who leaders are and who they are called to be in the church, we must focus our attention on what the Bible says. There hopefully is never a day in this church where we emphasize sort of corporate business-like leadership in this church rather than the leadership as described in 1 Timothy chapter 3. I pray we never get there, so just hold us all accountable. Leadership is not just possessing superior knowledge or a willingness to do more than others. Leadership is not this possession of a stronger will. Leadership absolutely has a spiritual aspect to it. And if we desire to understand the spiritual aspect of leadership, we must submit ourselves to the teaching of 1 Timothy chapter 3. And the Bible, again, contains all we need to identify the roles of elders which are crucial for the health and growth of every local church. I can put it this way, to help us contrast maybe what we're taught outside of church and what we bring into church, because we must be careful at what we impose on leadership within the church. Elders are not highly skilled Christian businessmen, although a highly skilled Christian businessman can serve as an elder. Elders are not only good managers, although a good manager can serve as an elder. Elders are not taken from a list of successful CEOs, but a successful CEO can absolutely serve as an elder. And it's all dependent upon 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is the test of every elder within the church. Now, all that may lead you to a question. What does the Bible say about leadership specifically? First of all, 1 Timothy chapter 3 gives us how the leader looks, what he looks like, the qualities he's supposed to possess. But there's another portion of the Bible that gives us an even clearer definition of anyone who would lead, whether it's in the role of elder or anywhere else in the church. It's found in Matthew chapter 20. This is what Jesus says. There's this conversation about who's going to be the greatest in Jesus' kingdom, and, and they're kind of figuring out who's going to be where. And then he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, you know, that's those outside of the church, those in the nations that surround them at the time, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. They, they, may, they, they are quick to remind everyone who's in charge. And then they hold that over their head, right? You ever had somebody like that? Just remember who's in charge here. Not that, don't speak up too much. You're not in charge. You don't get to talk. Just remember, I'm in charge. Jesus says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But this is what he says. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as a son of man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. At our church, we usually say if you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. If there is a job that needs to be done in this church and you think you're probably too big for that job, then you're too small to lead anything 
or anyone because a leader is at heart a servant, a slave to Christ, a servant to others, making sure everyone else is doing good. Whoever would be great among us in this church, whoever would be lifted up among us and honored, whoever is called to lead the church must first be willing to serve others. Because in the church, leadership is all about who you are becoming rather than what you have come to know. Now, I would never minimize knowledge or experience or the ability to execute. You can't be a really good person and like not do anything. That doesn't add up. I'm never going to minimize knowledge, experience, or the ability to execute. These are all characteristics of a solid leader. But the first aspect of church leadership has to do with the person's character and attitude first. Because who that person is will determine what they do and how they go about doing it. Who the person is is far more important than what they know. Now this brings us to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Timothy, he's a young pastor. He's leading the church in Ephesus. Ephesus is the letter we went through last year. He is the pastor that Paul, another biblical author and apostle, has written to, and he's telling Timothy what to do as this pastor of this young church. So he writes to Timothy, and he instructs Timothy how to select leaders in the church. That was one of his jobs in chapter 3. Now, I want to break this list of qualifications down in this way. There's a lot here, and Adam read it to us, and then he prayed it over us, so it's like a double whammy. He just kept drilling it in there. Thank you for that. Thanks for making me feel guilty, right? I want to break it down in this way. Verses 2 or 3 are moral qualities of an elder, someone who oversees the church. This Sunday and next, this is what we're going to be talking about. So this Sunday, I want to do 1 Timothy chapter 3 on who the elder is. Next Sunday, I would like to do what the elder is called to be in the church. What is their role? What do they do? What do they not do? That's going to be next week. But the first two verses in chapter 3 are moral qualities. And then verses 4 through 7 focus on the, the man's reputation. The reputation within the church, reputation within the home, and reputation within the community. All right, so I'm going to just take these one by one and try to breeze through them quickly and then end with a few points of emphasis on why these things are so important. If we were to just read them on the surface, I think we would all understand what they're calling to, whether you have a lot of biblical knowledge or not. They're very plain on what they are saying, but let me just go through them so we really understand exactly what Paul was trying to tell Timothy. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone inspires to the office of overseer, that word overseer just means pastor, bishop, elder. It can kind of be all the same in the Bible in the New Testament. By the way, the, the guys who are going to be elders, I asked them if they wanted to be called pastors, and they said, uh, no, elder would be just fine. But they are synonymous. I mean, they are going to pastor. They are going to shepherd. They are going to oversee. They are going to support the church. Churches could call elders pastors, and there would be anything, nothing wrong with that. If anyone desires this task, he desires a noble task. Sorry, if anyone desires, aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. The first thing we must understand is that in a future elder of any church must desire it for himself. He's got to have that internal call within himself first. When we started to receive applications for the elder training, I didn't recruit anyone. I just sent a message to everyone who was in the church, who was leading, who I felt like could fit into this role, who wasn't a recent convert, and we were three and a half years old. You know, so we worked with what we had. And I just said, here's what we're going to do in the year 2019. If you'd like to be involved, let me know. And that was it. Because I did not want my influence to make someone feel like I, they should do it because John asked me. It's got to come from a desire 
within. An elder has to be called to this work. And if he is, he desires a noble task. It is worth the effort and the energy and all that comes with it. Verse 2, therefore an overseer must be above reproach. This is kind of an old school term, but this simply means that no one can accuse him. There are no accusations that stick. So throw as many accusations as you can at this person. They're not going to stick. They just fall away. When someone says, hey, one of your elders uh, was with someone they shouldn't have been in the place they really shouldn't have been, and I saw them. A man above reproach, the church of that elder would go, I, I think you got it wrong. We know that person. Now, if there's some evidence, please tell us. But I, that doesn't sound like our leader. We know his life. We know his character. He wouldn't be with someone he's not supposed to be in a place he wasn't supposed to be. We know that. Accusations don't stick. Hey, your elder treated me this way. It should cause us to go, really? That's very uncharacteristic. We've never seen that in him. Which, by the way, interesting enough, in the same letter in chapter 5, Paul tells Timothy what the church needs to do if they want to accuse an elder of wrongdoing. You've got to have more than one witness. You can't just entertain an accusation against an elder with one person. It's not biblical. Should a church take that seriously? Sure. But we must be careful how we treat elders. But anyways, they're above reproach. Uh, they've led a life up to this point where you can go, yeah, I don't see them doing that. I think you're lying. He must be the husband of one wife. I did not explicitly um, write this in my notes, but I think this goes without saying that elders are to be men. That's what men are called to be in the church. Um, I just realized that I probably should have emphasized this a little more. Maybe I'll do that next week. But our church will follow the biblical model of church elders, which means men will be the only people to serve in that role. Men. Um, in some countries, I could probably get arrested for what I just said, and even maybe next week, people, people will picket our church for what I just said. But either way, men are to serve as elders. It's the husband of one wife. If you look at Christianity as a whole, there's two really big divides. Catholicism and churches like us, Protestant churches. That's the first big divide. The next big divide in our entire world of the Christian church are what do men and women do in the church? What roles do they fill? That's the next biggest divide. And churches will divide over this fact over and over and over again. But an elder is to be a man, husband, and one wife. Now, this language is, is, is meant to focus on the quality, not the marital status. Husband and one wife, you might be going, well, geez, are there multiple wives? Well, sure, in the ancient word, there could have been. And there was multiple wives. But the, the way this is written, you can... You can almost read it as uh, a one-woman man. That's the way the language reads to us. It's the quality of the man's relationship with his wife, not necessarily how many wives he's had. An elder must be a one-woman man in his heart, in his soul, and in his mind. His standard of beauty is the woman he's married to, right? My wife's name is Sherry. She's 5'7 with brown hair. I am into women who are 5'7 named Sherry Gilfillan with brown hair. That's who I'm into. I'm not into anything else. That's my standard of beauty. My heart is hers, my mind is hers, and my soul is hers. That's it. Husband of one wife. Not the second look guy, not the flirtatious guy, not the weird, crude, joke, creepy guy, but other women. That's not an elder. One woman, man. Sober-minded, which just means clear-headed. 
in his right mind, able at any point, at any point, to offer wisdom and counsel. 3 a.m., 2 p.m., after a long week, Sunday mornings, sober-minded, clear-headed, not confused about who he is or who God is. Self-controlled, one that's often overlooked. Self-controlled, to live under control, to be composed, to not be one person on Monday and another person on Tuesday. Respectable, honored by all in the church, men, women, and children. Respectable, they're respected. They're not worshiped, but they're respected. Hospitable, willing to invite others into their homes, into their lives. The schedule of an elder is not any busier than anybody else is, but it may look different, and it should look different. If an elder plotted everything on their calendar, you should see Bible reading, prayer for the church, John over for food, this person over for food. Uh, not, not me, but you know what I mean. The Sturmers over, the Nortons over, the Voldriches, they're coming over. The, the, the month should look like you want people into your home. Elders are not people who say, well, I shook a lot of hands on Sunday and that was all that I can bear. Well, that's okay. You're not going to serve as an elder. Hospitable, willing to open up their home. And by the way, let's just be honest. All of our homes are 50 to 75% clean at all times. So just get over it and invite people over. Some of you are 100% clean, but you guys are weird. So <laughs> I, I'm, you know what? This is, this is a pain point that's overlooked in the church. You should not feel judgment when inviting people over to your home. Get your stuff figured out. Get it organized. Be a good host. But do not let the status of your home crush the hospitality of the church. Don't do that. That doesn't help anybody. And then come over to my house and you'll feel really good, all right? <laughs> Able to teach. Able to teach. Diligent in his study. Diligent. And not only like they have to, but they get to. They're excited to wake up and open the Bible because it's what they need. And then able to teach what they have learned to others. By the way, not necessarily be up here preaching. I don't believe that's a requirement. There will be elders who are gifted to preach just as I have preached. The elders have preached. There's one who has it, and he's writing his first sermon. And when he gets done, he'll say, I don't ever want to do that again. Or he'll say, I can't wait to do it again. Right, John? Well, I don't know what he's going to say. <laughs> but he's going to say one of those two things. They don't have to be gifted in preaching. God has given to the church multiple gifts. Some people are gifted in preaching. Others are not. And what I lack in my gifts, the other people should bring. Right? I'm not gifted at all things. If you want me to do all things, we're in a lot of trouble. Diligent in his study, able to teach, study, study, able to teach. So you want to teach what you know, but then you want your life to be a teaching point itself. An elder is called to influence with wisdom and counsel, not overbearing like the, the creepy, annoying person who every time you meet them, they go, can I teach you how to be better at everything you do? Not today, thank you. You made me feel like crap yesterday. I'd like a break. Not necessarily like that, but at least able to teach what they've learned, what God has taught them. See, it's not enough for an elder to grow in their maturity with Jesus. They have to be able to give it away. They have to be able to communicate it in some way, however they're wired or gifted. Not a drunkard. Self-explanatory. Not, addic not addicted to alcohol. And then we could add, in our day, any other substance. So their mind is not controlled by any substance. They're clear-headed. 
Can, can an elder drink alcohol? Yes. Can any Christian drink alcohol? Yes. We do not take the drinking of alcohol and the prohibition of it further than the Bible takes it. But someone is not to be a drunkard. Now, that does mean some of you should never, ever drink ever again. That's probably true for some of us. Not a drunkard. Not addicted to alcohol. Not feeling like they need something because they're sober and it drives them nuts. An elder must be not a drunkard. Here's one, not violent, but gentle. Which just means able to settle differences without throwing fists. I mean, that's pretty much what it means. Solving your problems without punching people. An elder has to be that way. Now, the next one I think is tied to not violent, but gentle. Because we can go, my goodness, are there people here that solve their problems with fists? <laughs> Maybe some of us in our old life, yeah. Absolutely. Not violent, but gentle. Able to settle differences, conflict, without getting so angry that you want to do physical harm. Remember, Jesus says, just because you didn't murder somebody doesn't mean you didn't murder them. If you hate your brother, you've murdered them in your heart. So you could see this as, well, I mean, I haven't punched anyone. Well, you're right. But you hate a lot of people in your heart. So we must watch that. Not violent, but gentle. Next one, not quarrelsome. A quality actually often overlooked. It's subtle and it's there, and we usually breeze by it because we want to get to the lover of money. But not quarrelsome is often overlooked. Elders are not men who desire to engage in quarrels, ever. Elders are not men who love a good argument so they can win. Elders are not men who start arguments because they're mad that day and they want to take out their knowledge on somebody. Elders are never looking for a fight or an argument. They should be able to handle one when it comes, but they're not looking for it. They're not looking to win an argument in order to, to feel, feel superior or to feel more valuable, but rather they are patient, they are long-suffering, they are gentle even when a group of people are opposing them in front of them. You really want an elder to have sort of this quiet calmness about them. When people are approaching them and they're getting angry with them, you want them to be the person sitting there smiling. Not to like really make those people mad, which usually does. But you want them to understand what's happening and take the right approach to dissolving the conflict. That's what you want an elder to do. Not quick to jump in. Not quick to settle the dispute. I have been so guilty of going, well, I can fix this. Boom, right, and everything blows up. Then you walk away feeling like, won that one, you know? But you didn't. I mean, I lost. I did it the wrong way. Not quarrelsome. The way an elder speaks to people is very, very important. In the normal everyday speaking to people, very, very important. Not a lover of money. Man, the 9 a.m. always gets my stutters. Not a lover of money. This is self-explanatory. Money should not control the actions or the intentions of the man who is to serve as an elder. Money is a tool given by God in order to help us live and stay warm and drive a car and eat some food and support the church and tuck away something for our kids and grandkids. Money is just a tool. Elders do not worship money. They do not serve for the money. Thank goodness, because we don't have any for you anyway. <laughs> Even on this, Elders will be involved in some of the financial decisions of the church, much like most of us will be in the future. 
But elders are not people who freak out over the financial stuff of the church. Their decisions aren't based on how much money the church has or hasn't. There is wisdom there, but that should not drive their decisions. They're not consumed with the amount of zeros in our bank account. Not a lover of money. And then, if you think about this, they should really have a, an attitude of generosity. If they're not a lover of money, they should be giving their money away as much as possible without you know, hurting their own family. They should have a record of giving towards the church. They should have a record of generosity towards their neighbors and their family and the broader church. They should be men of generosity. All right? Now that, all of those are moral qualities. That's what you want to see. And then you have this other list that's kind of like, it's just highlighting the reputation, what people know about him. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his household well, how will he care for God's church? This verse can be used to abuse leaders, absolutely. It can be used to shove their wrongdoings in their face. An elder's children are not perfect, as an elder is not perfect. So in if you look at an elder, you must not feel like their children should never disobey. Because what do children do? They disobey. But rather, an elder must manage, let's just put it that way, he must manage that disobedience well. He must manage their obedience well. He must do it with dignity. He must be investing in his children if he has them and his wife keeping them submissive, not only to his leadership, which we learned about submissiveness in Ephesians. This is not a top-down, I'm going to lord my position over you. They should be pouring out their lives for their family. And when there is a red flag or an issue, they should set most things aside in their life and attack it and fix it. Because if he doesn't know how to do this, how is he going to help you? Can't get a five-year-old to obey what are you going to do when someone is walking through sin and they need your love and care and support? I've mentioned this before and it's another great time to mention it again. The greatest spiritual test of any man in the church, whether they're an elder or not, is how you manage your household. God has created you and called you to provide and protect for the wife that he has given you, that you didn't deserve her, and the children he has blessed you with. And on top of this, you are called to manage your household with dignity, with a clear conscience. The true spiritual test of any man is how he interacts and loves his wife and how he raises and loves his children. For how can he lead the church if he can't do that? He must not be a recent convert. I think that's pretty clear. He shouldn't be someone who became a Christian last week. Why? Well, because you're going to put him in a position of pride because all of a sudden he's awesome in the church. He's really, really great. And we know pride is dangerous and it's, it's, it's in our life and it's seeking to destroy every single person here, especially those who are in position of leadership. A fallen leader, they all have something in common. Pride got to them. They thought too highly of themselves and we're all susceptible to it. I have failed many of you because of my pride in the past. And this is something that all of us must work on. And this is why you don't put a recent convert in a position of authority as an elder. The sin of pride seeks to destroy every single person in this church. 
pride is obsessed with destroying leaders within the church. Number seven, or verse seven, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. So finally, an elder should be well thought of by those who are not even a part of this church. I, I really, this is great that this is the end. All the moral qualities, all the reputation, but oh, by the way, it's not just the people of the church who should enjoy your presence, it's the neighbor who hates Jesus that should enjoy your presence. The reputation within the church should match the reputation outside of the church. The people in your workplace should know that you're a Christian and that you're a leader in the church, and they should really want to be around you even then. The reputation of an elder outside of the church is very, very important. It's important because the gospel is important. It's because the gospel is light to a dark and dying world. And light is attractive. Light brings hope. Light brings peace. And that is what a good reputation of an elder does, even in a place where there is no light. God has put him in that position, in that place, for a reason. He's got to be well thought of by outsiders. You cannot come into church and be well thought of here and be hospitable here and neglect those who are not part of us yet, who are not here yet. In your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school, in your family. You must be well thought of by those who are not Christians. Now, a few points of why we need to consider these things as we select elders. Number one, it's very simple. The Bible says so. We could shut our Bibles and walk away and that would be enough. But there's more to it. Considering what we know the man is to be, who are to be elders within this church and with any church around the world. And by the way, churches now are being started and there are no elders. Churches are not even putting elders in positions. They're running churches with staffs, like organizations in the world. And so if we want to be a biblical New Testament church, we have to put elders in their role and we need to submit to them and honor them and follow them. And it's important because outside of protecting and providing for his wife and his children, the call to lead the church is the most important calling of a man's life. There is no greater calling. I don't care if you're a five-star general. An elder is more important. I don't care if you lead the largest organization in North America. Your role as elder is more important than that. Because the elders are caring for the people whom Jesus died for. There's nothing more important than that. Acts 20, verse 28. Paul says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Pay close attention to your life, and then pay very close attention to who God has sent you to lead. And the Holy Spirit made you an overseer. You didn't do this on your own. Care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. An elder must realize that he's shepherding the people that Jesus died for. It's a high calling. There is no greater calling than the care for the people whom Jesus laid down his life to save. There is no greater calling than to serve the church in the role of elder. Because there's no more important information than Jesus died to seek and save the sinner. That's the most important thing that has ever been said. That God has sent Jesus into the world to pay for sins and save people from his judgment. That is the most important message. And elders lead those people who respond to that message. There is no greater calling. Before the foundations of the earth were laid, God had put in place this plan to save people for his name and for his glory. And then he knew who he would call to lead 
those very people. The call to serve the church in this role is not something you aspire to because you're bored or because you need something new in your life or maybe because you have some skills that would be useful. That's not why you serve as an elder. To serve as an elder is a calling. It's something you can't shake. To not do it would be a sin. To not fulfill the calling, you would have to sleep every night realizing, I know God is telling me to do this and I'm not obeying. That's what a calling is in your life. That's what an elder has to experience. Also, the call to serve as an elder is the most important because the Bible says that those who lead will give an account for the leadership they provide. More on this next week as well as in our connect group conversations during the week. Hebrews 13, it's the book in your New Testament. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. This is the author of Hebrews. Nobody really knows who it is. Most people think it's Paul. They write to the church and say this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? Because they're keeping watch over your souls. And oh, by the way, they will stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords, and they will give an account for every person they've led. That's a high calling. That's a high calling. The role of an elder is important because they shepherd and they support and they counsel and they pray for and they care for and they teach the people whom Jesus died to save. And then, if that wasn't enough pressure, they will die. I mean, they're going to be resurrected, okay? They get that too. But they're going to die and they're going to stand before God and then give an account for all of that leadership. That's a high calling. Now, we're going to learn more about this verse in the coming weeks. I'm just going to leave that there. Also, let me end with this. Uh, I began to close. Now I'm finishing my closing. Okay? I'm starting to finish my closing. These qualifications, it's important to, uh, to have elders in the church because these qualifications show us what is only made possible through a relationship with Jesus Christ. The gospel has the power to transform the worst of us into the best of us. Amen? If the gospel cannot transform the worst person on the planet, it's not powerful enough to transform me. It's for everyone, no matter what they've done. The gospel has the power to transform you into somebody your old self would never even recognize if you passed him or her on the street. This list of qualifications cannot be checked off with hard work or unprecedented dedication or obtained by some secret moral power. This list of qualifications can only be reached if Jesus Christ is first in an elder's life. And the gospel is first in an elder's life. These qualifications can only be met by the grace of Jesus Christ through faith in Jesus Christ, by the power of the word and of the Holy Spirit. That's it. Men who say I'd like to serve in elders are not stepping forward and saying, um, hey, it took me some time, but I figured it out. I figured out how to be awesome. And I don't struggle anymore, ever. You should come over and see me in my own house. It's amazing. I'm the best father you've ever seen. I'm the best husband. I do everything right with my money. Oh, my word, I can't remember the last time I engaged in an argument. I'm fantastic. That's not the attitude of an elder. An elder can't earn this stuff. We all know that we, we are not who we once were because of the grace of God. Amen? We're not who we want to be 
we're not that person anymore. And so these qualifications, all they look like, wow, that's a lot. Next week when three men stand up here, hopefully with their wives, although they may not come, you're not supposed to look at them and go, oh, they figured it out. Where did they find that secret treasure chest of knowledge that got them there? It's not what happened. The power of the gospel, the power of the Bible, and the power of the Holy Spirit has transformed them. God has called them to lead. This list proves how powerful God truly is, even in those who are not going to serve as an elder ever. The gospel is powerful. And just last week that we said our mission is to make disciples and then baptize them and teach them, this list should be, as Adam said, something that every man aspires to. Because when Jesus saves you, he saves you for a purpose, and it's to become more like him. And these qualifications just reflect the image of Jesus Christ. At the beginning of the year, six men considered this calling to be an elder here at City Gate Church. I sent the message out to a lot of them. Six of them responded and said, I'll bite. I'll figure that out. I'll see what it's like. Then they filled out a lengthy application that was gently intrusive because I love being gently intrusive. And then we talked through those applications to figure out if they're ready to enter the training. And then six of them entered the training. For various reasons, three others said, not good timing. This isn't for me yet. Probably not a calling. I want to eventually. Maybe I will. I'll come back. Out of six of those men, three of them completed the training. A year-long training of prayer, study, formal and informal, serving in the church, and by the way, all three elders, for a year straight, set up the parking signs, opened up the building, got this place ready for worship, which we hopefully they will not have to do in about a month. We're gathering a team for other people to do that. Three of them have completed the training that was overseen by me. Uh, I'm not the standard. I just had to do it because, you know, you have what you have. They completed the training, and then they're going to be tasked with fulfilling the role of elder. Adam Snyder, Mike Norton, and John Fries. All three of these men have been called to serve, and they've been confirmed by me and by the training they've been involved in. If you have questions about the training, I'll definitely let you know. And here's the other thing about an elder. We're always looking for more applicants. I don't care if we have 150 people in this building and we have 12 elders. I do not care. We will confirm and then set loose any elder that God has called to lead in our church. The more, the better. Amen? The more, the better. If God has called you to serve as an elder, we're going to put you in the training and see what happens. The men who we're going to honor next week have been called to serve in the role of elder, and that calling has been confirmed through this past year. Are they perfect? No, they're not perfect. Some of you know them and you're like, not perfect. You should say that, right? Because only Jesus is perfect. Are they perfect? No. Are they spiritual gurus who possess secret knowledge about Jesus? No. Are they men who have never failed? No. But are they men of the word? Yes. Are they men of the word who will lead us to become more like Jesus? Yes. And I can say that with absolute confidence.